continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. And as you can look up there and see the topic, uh, you're probably thinking, okay, Paul, three controversial messages in a row. Um, you preach on hell, then the next week you preach on biblical femininity, which is a controversial subject these days. And now divorce. What are you thinking? Well, it wasn't my plan at all. Um, you can blame God because it's in the text. It's what Jesus is talking on, and Mother's Day was right in the middle. So uh, Mother's Day was a time to talk about biblical femininity. Uh, so I trust that the Lord is in all this. I don't like controversy. I'm not looking, if you know me personally, if you're a guest here, you, you wouldn't necessarily know this, but if you know me personally, you know that I'm not one who seeks after controversy. Um, but you know what? The reality is that it's often in those points of controversy that we most need God's rescue, right? These issues that are controversial are controversial for a reason. And there's a lot of ideas that are out there, and we need God's rescue. We need God to intervene in these areas and speak to us and bring His truth. And this area is no exception. Um, The divorce statistics in our age are really tragic. Um, There is an average of one divorce approximately every 36 seconds in America. That's nearly 2,400 divorces every day, 876,000 divorces a year. Um, about 40% of all married couples will end up in divorce. 43% of children growing up in America today are being raised without their father. Half of American children will witness the breakup of a parent's marriage. The trend has been um, that way over the past 100 years. About 125 years ago, right around the time that this building was built, there were about, uh, the divorce rate was about 3 per 1,000. 3 per 1,000. Uh, it's peaked in 1980 at about 23 per thousand, so almost 10 times the rate in that time. Now, for a lot of us, it's not just about statistics. You have felt the bitter sting of divorce. Maybe you've gone through a gut-wrenching experience, the turmoil of divorce. Maybe you've grown up with parents who broke up, and so this topic is is more than statistics. It's full of perhaps feelings of confusion, betrayal, pain, poignant and agonizing pain at times. Thank the Lord that He's given us His Word and He wants to address our hearts. And so if you are here this morning and you've been through a divorce or you've been affected by a divorce or, or, uh, or you're considering a divorce, the Lord has truth for you this morning. So we will look at His Word And we will uh, seek to listen to our Savior and our King as he addresses us on this topic. So let's pray and ask him to do that. Lord, we thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves. Lord, there is a lot of confusion around this topic, the topic of marriage, the topic of divorce. Lord, there's a lot of pain as well. There's pain here in our midst in different forms. And so I ask you, Lord, to, to help us, to speak to us. And I pray, Lord, as a result of this time this morning, we will experience not just information, but transformation by your Spirit. That we would experience truth transforming hearts and minds and lives. The truth of the gospel, the truth of your ways and your kingdom would be made known. And Lord, you would affect us and then use us to go out from this place bring that gospel and bring that truth that other lives might be affected as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please read with me in Mark chapter 10, 
verses 1 through 12. Speaking of Jesus, says, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to hear him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. God's word from Mark 10, 1 through 12. Jesus, in this passage, teaches us about the issue of divorce and, for that matter, the the issue of of marriage. He cuts through the arguments on what is permissible and what is not regarding a divorce and strikes at the heart of the matter. He clearly and uncompromisingly teaches us that God's purpose in marriage is one man, one woman, living as one flesh for all of life. God's purpose in marriage is one man, one woman living as one flesh for all of life. So let's dig into this passage and learn how he teaches us this. Jesus has journeyed here in this beginning of chapter 10. There's a transition that's going on as we've followed along in the Gospel of Mark. We've watched Jesus do miracles and we've watched Jesus proclaim the kingdom. He's been mostly in his home region of Galilee, around Lake Galilee. He journeyed northward for a little while and he came back down. Now he's on his way, actually, down to, towards Jerusalem for his final journey to Jerusalem to be crucified on the cross and then to rise again on the third day. So there's a transition in the storyline. and He's gone down. He's in the region beyond the Jordan to the east of the Jordan and his reputation precedes him. Crowds come. They gather. And Jesus' heart is to teach on the kingdom. That's his priority, is to teach. He teaches on the kingdom. And in the process of those interactions, uh, people come to him. They're Pharisees. They're, they're leaders who come to him. And they come to test him. And they bring up a very controversial subject. And the idea, most likely, is that they're hoping to trap him somehow. They're hoping to get him to say something that will get him in trouble on this topic, to trap him. Not too unlike today, right? on a controversial topic like this. And Christians certainly are asked a lot these days about marriage. And I can't say that the motives are always good behind the questions. It's wonderful to watch Jesus in in this section of Scripture as he's down in Jerusalem and he's having these interactions. And you see that particularly in Matthew, there are lots of tough questions that are brought to Jesus. Lots of really hard questions. And it's just wonderful to watch him interact with these questions 
It's amazing to watch him interact and pull out really these profound and even surprising answers that are just pure genius. This is one of them. It's just wonderful to watch him do that. And I guess it makes sense if we remember, of course, he's God, right? (laughs) He's God in the flesh. So if anybody has a genius answer for a hard question, it's it's Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, you know, asking Albert Einstein, you know, hey, Albert, uh, here's a trick question. Who invented Newtonian physics? You know, or something like some basic question. And Albert Einstein would just be like, well, let me tell you about that one. Uh, this is God answering these questions. He's genius uh, and profound. And so he comes back at the Pharisees with a question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus knows their hearts. He knows the issue. And he doesn't actually engage them on their presuppositions. He does. I mean, he addresses them, but he doesn't give in to their, their grounds of the question. He turns it around and he says, well, what did Moses command you? What did the scriptures say? Always a good way to, to answer. And so they refer to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And, and so I want to actually read through that, the four verses in Deuteronomy 24. You can put that up, Carter. So we understand the background to the conversation. Because a lot of the controversy of the day was around the understanding of this passage. So, so uh, if you want to follow in your Bibles or on the overhead, I'm just going to read this. This is from the, the, from the book of Deuteronomy. It's the second giving of the law in the first five books. When God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, had brought them out uh, from there, he had done wonders to rescue them. Then he said, now that you're my people, I want you to walk with me. I want you to live in my holy ways. I want you to live in my good ways. I want you actually to be a blessing to the nations as well. And this is part of that, the giving of the law, and how they're to live. So it says in that section, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For this is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. So that's the section of Scripture. It's describing the situation that's going on. When these things happen, how are we to respond to them? So when a man divorces his wife for these grounds of indecency and sends her away, what do you do? Well, um, first, just to help understand this idea of indecency, that was kind of the debate of the day. It says in in the description here, there's some sort of indecency that goes on the man is sending his wife away. Well, what's the meaning of that indecency? And there was debate on that. There was, there was a school of thought that said, well, indecency basically means anything you don't like. So in other words, if your wife burns your dinner, you're like, I'm done. Give her the divorce. Go away. I want someone who can cook. Uh, or whatever it might be. I mean, that, there, there, was, there were people who said it was anything. And then there was a school that said, no, 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 this isn't, and, and I think this is the correct understanding, uh, no, no, indecency is a word, it's a euphemism for sexual immorality, particularly sexual relations outside of marriage. And so if there's some sort of indecency, if there's sexual infidelity in the marriage, this goes on. 
But did you notice in the story in Deuteronomy 24 that there's no commandment actually until the end of the passage? It's a description of a situation that's given. Nowhere does Moses say, you will divorce on these grounds. He says, when this happens, and when this happens, and when this happens, don't do this. So if there's a divorce that happens, and it's on the grounds of indecency, and there's a certificate that goes with it, you, and you, the person gets married to someone else, and then maybe gets divorced or the person dies, they can't come back and marry the first person. The intent, most likely, in this original command is to keep the people from just, uh, you know, divorcing carelessly and then thinking they can go back. You know, I, I'm just going to, until I, I'm just going to keep on divorcing and remarrying until I find somebody I'm happy with. That's kind of what it's seeking to say. No, we don't do it that way. But there's really not a command here apart from saying don't remarry the original person. It's a description. And Jesus is getting at this issue in his discussion here. So we ask them, what is Moses' command? And, and again, the, the background is there, there is a, a majority of the people of the day thought that indecency could be anything, uh, anything that you wanted, anything that displeased you was grounds for that. Jesus is asking this question, and they reply, the, Jesus says, what is Moses' command? And it seems that the Pharisees kind of pick up a little bit on what he's getting at, that is it command or not? And they say that Moses allowed a man to write, a certificate of divorce, and send his wife away. And that's, uh, that's what it says in Mark 10. And there does seem to be, in Deuteronomy 24, a tacit approval of divorce on the grounds of indecency. And we'll get to that later. But that's not the intent of that. That's not the intent of Deuteronomy 24. And these guys had, had taken something that was allowed, they had taken something that was permitted, and they had made that the issue regarding divorce. And that was what their question was around. And Jesus is saying, that's not, guys, it's not about what's permissible. It's not about what's permissible. It's about what God's purpose is. The, the debate here, the concern here, is not when it's permissible to get a divorce. The real core of this issue of divorce and marriage is what is God's purpose in marriage. What is God's purpose? And so his answer continues in this section to get at that. He takes them back to Genesis chapter 2. But I want us to get the point that he is getting at in the flow of his questions in this interaction. The Pharisees want to talk about what's permissible. Jesus wants to talk about what the purpose is. And that's a really important point. It's really important for us no matter where we might be, what situation, maybe we're married, maybe we're unmarried, uh, it, can relate, it relates to our marriages, it relates to society, it relates to how we interact with our culture on this issue. It's not about what's permissible, that's not the main point. It's about God's purpose for marriage. That's the core issue, and we must always go back to God's purpose for marriage. That's the grounds, that's the center, that's where we start. And so often in controversial issues, we want to talk about what the boundaries are. What's allowable? What's permissible? When are these situations justifiable? And we can miss the point. We miss the purpose. And it's not just the issue of marriage, actually. This applies to so much of life. 
There's this tendency in us, and, and I've had conversations, and I've seen the behavior in my own life, I had conversations with my kids where, you know, the question is, well, is it okay to do this? Do you think it's wrong to do this? And the, and the decision whether to do it's based on the answer to that. Isn't a better question is, what is the best thing to do? How can I best use my time in my life? How will I most glorify God rather than, is it okay? Is it wrong? If you focus on the parameters, the boundaries, the outside, you'll miss the center. It's kind of like driving down the highway. On the highway, you have lanes, and then along the highway, you have guardrails, right? The guardrails define the parameters of safe driving, don't they? But if you drive and you put your eyes on the guardrails, what happens? You'll drive through the guardrails and off the road most likely, right? And, and you'll break the boundaries. But even driving, how do you keep from going near the guardrails? Do you put your eyes, oh, there's the guardrails, that's as far as I get to go, okay? You'll find yourself driving right through the guardrails. No, what do you do? You focus on your destination. You focus ahead. This is where we're going. I'm heading down the road. I keep my eyes straight ahead on the purpose of my trip, and therefore I avoid crossing the boundaries of what's permissible. That's how God's ways work. In regards to marriage, it's how it works. It's not about where the boundaries are. What's permissible here, it's about what the purpose is in marriage. So Jesus takes them back. He takes them back to this purpose. He wants to focus them on this, and he wants to focus us on the purpose of marriage. I do wonder, I don't know, but I do wonder whether in our culture, our culture that's been influenced by Christianity, and our culture that's been influenced by discussions on what's permissible, where, when and why is it permissible to divorce, I wonder if we've taken our eyes off the purpose and put them on what's permissible. And I do wonder whether that's affected the drift in our culture. And there's been a degradation of marriage in our culture. And there's lots of implications for that. And in the reality right now is that marriage is not, biblical marriage is not held very highly in our culture. Now, I'm not advocating that, that that's our core issue as a church. I do believe that the best thing the church can do is witness to what's biblical and true and love those and understand that we are missionaries in a lost world. We're strangers in a strange land, and it's always going to be that way until Jesus comes back. So let's not try to get, uh, make non, you know, moral, non-believing people. We want to witness for Jesus and how we live and, and win people to Jesus. But the reality is right now that nearly 75% of women ages 30 or younger have lived with a partner outside of marriage. About, a, about 50% of married men over all ages live with their wife before marrying her. 41% of children are born to an unmarried mom. And we have the issue of same-sex marriage. All these things, I believe, are related either directly or indirectly to getting our eyes off of the purpose and failing to stand strongly for the purpose and perhaps focusing on what's permissible and living there. The divorce rates among professing believers are not much different than the general culture. So this call from Jesus is really important. And you might be thinking, well, I'm thankful I have a strong marriage. But if you get your eyes off the purpose, you are likely to drift and drive through those guardrails. We need to have Jesus call us back to this purpose. So where is your attention when it comes to marriage? Where the boundaries are? 
what the purpose of God is. And I would say to all of us, where is your attention in the things of God focused? On what's permissible or what God's purpose is for your life? Jesus in this discussion brings them back to the purpose of God. And he says in verse 5, And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, <clears throat> he wrote you this, <coughs> excuse me, this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, since they are no longer two but one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus takes their attention back to Genesis chapter 2, very beginning. He takes their focus off of what's permissible onto what the purpose is. God's purpose is what this is about. Now, divorce comes as a result of the fall and sin and mankind's brokenness. But before there ever was a fall, there was a purpose. God made mankind male and female. He made mankind male and female at the very core of humanity. The very core of what it is to be human is this aspect of being male and female. And at the core of that, it's not the only state, but a core purpose of God is to have those two parts become one. That's what Jesus is saying here. He made them male and female so that the male and female would come together and become one flesh. No longer two, but one. This is at the core of God's creation purposes. It predates anything else. Creation ordinances hold for all time and all people, by the way. Not only Christians, but all those created in God's image. All humanity. And this idea of male and female becoming one. One man, one woman, one flesh for one life. That's at the core of God's purpose here. It's clear from Jesus' teaching. It's clear from Scripture. Marriage is grounded, really, in the very essence of humanity as male and female. These two parts are made to come together to be one and stay one throughout life. It's at the core of creation. And it must fulfill its purpose. Therefore, let no man separate what God has joined together. In other words, do not mess with marriage. That's what Jesus is saying. This is at the core. This is at the beginning. Do not mess with marriage. Do not mess with the foundations that God has established. Let's stop talking about what's permissible and focus on what the purpose is. Let us be unabashed in this, people. This is God's purpose. Yes, we must live as ambassadors apologetically to the culture, patiently, humbly, all that, but let us be unabashed in this truth. Let us not compromise with the culture. Hear me in this. This issue might be one of the biggest issues we'll face as believers over the next 10 years, and particularly relating to same-sex marriage. Hold fast to God's purpose for marriage. It's clear. It's uncompromising. It's grounded in creation. It's at the very core of humanity. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he says when, in Genesis 2, what God says, let no man separate. Don't mess with this foundation. This is a foundational thing to humanity and God's purpose. 
makes me think of concrete. <laughs> Do you know how concrete's made? It's comprised of cement and water and what we call aggregate, which is like sand and rocks and things like that. You mix it all together. It's in the first state before it hardens. It's liquid-like. You can pour it. You can mold it. You can build foundations and structures. And you can build whole cities with concrete. And I would submit to you that actually our cities are built on concrete. Concrete is there in the foundations. It's there the foundations of the small buildings and the large buildings. It's uh, integral to a city. And a city is a place where people live and conduct business and uh, bring families up and so forth. Imagine if you could create a compound that somehow, in diabol- if you had diabolical purposes in mind, you could spread it up in the clouds and it would mix with the rain and it would rain down on cities and it would dissolve the concrete. It would break those bonds. And all of a sudden, it would seep into all the foundations and corrode and break up all the concrete. You'd have entire cities collapsing, wouldn't you? You'd have death and destruction. Marriage is like concrete. It is at the foundation of humanity and society. It's the clear call of God. And if you mess with the foundations, you mess with everything. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is something God has done in the beginning. So get your eyes off of those other issues. Yeah, we can talk about what's permissible. The, the focus needs to be on what the purpose is. This concrete that God has given humanity. And he calls believers to live in this. He calls all people to live in it. But especially his people who would submit to his word to say, yes, this is the purpose. And to give ourselves to that purpose. It must not be violated. He goes on here to say that when it's done in the wrong way, there are terrible consequences. He's coming strongly against the ethics of the Pharisees, the ethics, not all the Pharisees necessarily, but the the prevailing ethic of, of easy divorce. And he has strong words. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The Pharisees knew the importance of the command not to commit adultery. And he's saying, basically, you guys, in getting your eyes on what's permissible and some of the ridiculous understandings are violating this key commandment. You are promoting adultery. This is wrong. And it would have horrified them to hear this, but Jesus makes it clear. It's interesting, in Matthew, when the disciples hear this teaching from Jesus, And this call of the purpose of God and that it's not okay to divorce. Except for some cases, which we'll get into. Basically, the purpose of God is for oneness. They are overwhelmed. They actually say, uh, it says, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. That's the disciples' reply. Maybe that's how you're feeling right now. If this, this purpose is so clear and so uncompromising. Maybe I just shouldn't get married. What I want to do, actually, in the remainder of our time is just to talk about what to do. Because you might feel like the, like the disciples, well, what should I do? How do I deal with this? This is overwhelming. I, I know the brokenness of society. Or I know my history. I'm, I'm divorced. Or I, I'm from a divorced family. 
what do I do? Well, let me speak to that. First, if you are married, stay married. That's what you should do. Stay married and pursue all the purpose God has for you in your marriage. Do not get lazy in your marriage. Do not take your marriage for granted. Fix your eyes on your destination, the purpose of God. One flesh for all of life. Love your spouse. Look to the Lord. The Lord, the Lord loves marriage, and, and there's blessing in it. It's, uh, I can't give a whole teaching on what the Bible says about marriage, but there's much good in it. It's meant by God to glorify God. It's meant to be a picture of the eternal love and oneness of Christ and His church. There aren't many things in life that have a purpose that high. Marriage is, a, is an opportunity to model, to reflect the eternal love of, of Christ for His church. That's what it's supposed to look like, His church for Him. We get to model that. We get to shine that. We get to show that. Yes, it's weak. Yes, we need help. But God wants to do that. That is, that is great. It's a great blessing in marriage. It's meant for intimate, loving companionship, mutual provision, blessing and nurture of children, and sexual enjoyment. All these things from God. But it takes work. It takes self, mutual self-sacrifice that will stretch you and force you to cling to Christ, perhaps unlike anything else. So hear that call and cling to Christ. The one who died so you could be forgiven and so you could extend forgiveness to your spouse. The one who's with you and never will forsake you. He will give you grace. Run to Him. Learn to love deeply. Pray together so you can stay together as a couple. Depend on the gospel of grace. So if you're married, do these things. Pursue God's purpose. Next question is, what do I do if I'm married to an unbeliever, someone who doesn't trust in Christ, that doesn't live in light of these truths, not committed to this purpose? What do I do? Scripture instructs you to pursue the same things that every other couple does. The blessing that God has in these other ways that I've talked about. The oneness and the blessing, the mutual caring and joy. And to recognize that, that you might win your spouse to Christ. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about that. That you might win your spouse to Christ. So love them. Enjoy the blessing there. Do all you can. Sadly, sometimes, even though you do that, the unbelieving spouse wants out. And you have no control over that. 1 Corinthians 7 is, is very clear that should that be the case, they want out, you should understand that you are free in letting them go. You do not have an obligation to try to stay married or even consider yourself married once they're gone. You are free. You are free to end the marriage and to stay single or remarried. You are free in that. It's permissible on the grounds of abandonment from 1 Corinthians 7. Next question might be, well, What should I do if I'm divorced? What do I do with this? Divorce is never God's preference. It's never to be where you go first in a difficult marriage. But it happens. And it is allowed in Scripture. It is allowed. 
in Matthew, where there are parallel teachings from Jesus. Matthew includes statements Jesus made on when it's permissible. And in the case of indecency, in in the case of sexual immorality, in the case of sexual relations outside of marriage, it is permissible. When someone has sinned against the marriage in such a way that there's so much damage, so much loss of trust, sometimes the best choice is to get a divorce. Never the first choice, but sometimes, in the end, the best choice. If if there's no trust there, if the damage is so serious, and sadly that happens. There is permission. In that case, there's permission on the grounds of abandonment. And those are allowed cases for divorce. Otherwise, it's not allowed. That's, I think, the clear teaching of Scripture. And if you are in the state of divorce, being divorced, um, and you have not remarried, you're currently divorced, and you didn't divorce for biblical reasons, you have two options, I believe, scripturally. To, one, to reconcile with your former spouse, if possible. Second is to remain single. If there are grounds, perhaps, that develop because of the behavior of your, of your former spouse for legitimate biblical divorce, that's another issue. If you were divorced from biblical reasons and then remarried unbiblically, stay in your marriage. There are grounds to recognize the divorce and move forward in that case, and you are to pour yourself into your current marriage. But I do believe that you need to recognize that that's not God's way. And there's forgiveness, and there's grace to move on. And I think in all these things, that's such an important element here. All these cases, the the strength to deal with it, the strength to address these things, the strength to stand strong, The strength to move beyond the pain comes from Christ. There's good news behind any bad news. This is certainly a somber topic, but there's good news. Christ came and lived a righteous life, never sinned, always loved others, always loved his Father, had a spotless record, perfect, full of love for the Father, full of love for others, and then took that righteous life and offered it up on the cross to pay for your sins, so that as you trust in him, all your sins are paid for, and God in Christ counts you, counts you righteous as Christ himself, and receives you. There's good news in that. And when you trust in him, when you turn from sin, you are credited with forgiveness and righteousness, and you are called beloved And he's for you, and he loves you, and he wants to help you. He wants to heal you. He wants to use you in your sorrow, even, to comfort others. He wants to meet you there. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Put your hope in him. Trust in him. He heals. He uses us. Let us not forget that as we talk about this sober subject. That's our only hope. Christ crucified and risen, our Savior, our King. What about if you're single? What do you do? Well, I want to make an important caveat. You do not have to be married to be fully human, okay? 
That's important to say because I've been saying it's at the core of his creation purposes, right? So you might think, okay, well, what am I, like half human here? Uh, No, the consistent testimony of Scripture, single human beings are made in the image of God. You bear that image fully just as uh, singles of the opposite gender do. You You are fully human. And the purposes of marriage are actually only temporary. I don't understand this. I don't know how we're going to do this thing in heaven with my wife. I, you know, I won't, we won't be married as we are now, so it's temporary. So singles, you are probably approximate the final state that we're all going to be in. We belong to the Lord. You don't need to be married. God has purposes for you. Singleness is to be celebrated, enjoyed in its own right. But there are some strategic things that are really important in singleness, and I can't do a whole teaching on singleness, but, but you need to pursue your communion, your companionship, the core of it, with the Lord. And that's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity because that is actually what we're all made for. We're made to, to have at the core, the closest one being the Lord, our relationship with the Lord. So you get an opportunity in your singleness to learn how to do that. And you'll be enjoying that forever in His presence. So pursue Him. Pursue community with the church. Get to know people. Build relationships. Let them get to know you. Make the church family your family. Because you know what? The church, capital C, is the ultimate family. All all families in the church are ultimately for the purpose of the family, the ultimate family, the church. And so singles, as you give yourself to the local church, you are building that ultimate family. So give yourself in relationship and give yourself in service. Take those challenges of loneliness and turn them around to building and pursuing relationships and pursuing service. And also understand that a large majority of humanity will be married. And so God has purposes in that. So there's a preparation in that too. Prepare for the possibility, the likely possibility of being married. Just a couple more things I want to cover in this. I think it's important to think through the the implications of this truth. Next is, what do you do if you're single and cohabitating? You're living together with someone else, your girlfriend or boyfriend. What do you do? Well, God's plan for us is either singleness or marriage. That's God's plan. Singleness or marriage. And cohabitating is really trying to have your cake and eat it too. You're trying to be both. Having singleness and being married in the same state. And, and it, it's not God's plan. It's outside of God's plan. It's unhealthy and displeasing to God. That's the truth. Now I say that also recognizing that it's very common in our culture. And many folks that are in our kind of extended church family are either in that situation or have been in that situation. And you're on a journey. And we say it over and over again. We're glad you're here. We are. And you're on a journey, and we're patient with you in that. But that journey is about learning about Christ, considering Christ, and considering who he is, and his work on the cross for our forgiveness, and his lordship. And so following him and being on this journey is learning to trust him, not only for your forgiveness, but for your choices. Your choices about Friends, your choices about marriage, your choices about sex. You can't separate those two. They all go together. He is one being. He is Savior and King. Savior and Lord. 
And so trusting him is trusting him for forgiveness and for all of life. And so you are welcome to journey and consider those things, but that's what is there. That's what you need to consider. You need to ultimately decide, are you going to trust him to be wisest and most loving? Are you going to trust him more than your own desires and decisions? And trust that when he teaches us from Scripture the options are singleness or marriage, that actually is best. And he will, indeed, as you do that, take care of you and yours. And if you have questions, I would love to talk with you afterwards about it. Um, again, uh, this is reality, and uh, it's, it's something, I think, for all of us to understand. Guys, this, those of you who are believers and are committed to these truths and walking in them, you're going to see this, and you have seen this all around you. So learning to help people understand and patiently helping them, directing them to the Lord and helping them understand the Lordship of Christ is a call to trust Him in issues of marriage and sex. Final one before we conclude. Again, thanks for your patience. We take a little extra time because of our missions presentation. What if you experience same-sex attraction? What should you do? What's the right thing to do? Our culture says that you should satisfy that attraction and maybe even pursue same-sex marriage. That's what our culture currently says. And while there are indeed are civil rights issues related to marriage, biblical marriage isn't ultimately about rights, but about God's purpose. And that purpose has to trump any issues of rights. doesn't mean we don't address rights. That's another conversation. But hear me, I think, I think rights are important. But ultimately, the purpose of God in marriage has to trump it all. And we have to trust Him in that purpose. So if you are someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, or you know somebody, the issue is really, do, do I, do you, trust Christ in this? Can you trust Him to take care of you? Can you trust God in these purposes? When He has said that, that marriage is one man, one woman, one flesh for all of life. That's, that's marriage. And sexual relations are for marriage and nothing else. For everybody, no matter what your attraction might be. That's God's truth. And so the issue there is, do you trust God? Can you trust Him? Can you trust Him with what's best? Doesn't mean it's easy, right? For all of us. When God says, walk this way, it's never easy necessarily. Can we trust him? Can we trust him in his way? The biblical sexual ethic is very narrow for everybody. One man, one woman, one flesh, all of life. So you have to choose to trust him. And you need to recognize that he'll help you. He'll meet you. He'll give you grace. There have been lots of believers through the centuries who have struggled with same-sex attraction and have made it through. And I think some of the things that they've done is they've learned to walk with the family of God. And, and if you are one who struggles with same-sex attraction, we want to say to you, we love you. You don't have to hide that. We love you. We're committed to walking alongside of you and helping you learn to trust Christ with that. We're committed to being a church family with you in that area. And God will give you grace. And the church is called to come alongside all those who struggle in different ways with mercy and grace and truth and deed. Guys, this is going to become more and more the case. 
believers. Understand this. And we must understand that God is going to bring people to our church more and more who have been in relationships, same-sex relations, do struggle with same-sex attraction. I would guess there's some among us, even right now. And may God use us to stand for truth, to stand graciously and patiently. May we show the love of God and what a family, an extended family where Christ is present, the power that that gives to resist walking off God's purposes, walking away from his purposes. So will you trust him? He's laid down his life for us. He's given himself for us. The Father has given the Son. Therefore, he'll take care of us and all these other needs that we have. His ways are best if the bank could come up as we close. His ways are good. God's purpose in marriage is good. And there's glory in it. One man, one woman, one flesh for all of life. That's his purpose. There's blessing there. I just want to close with one short illustration of a couple I know that has done this well. In his book, When Sinners Say I Do, Dave Harvey talks about this couple. This couple's actually uh, friends of ours and some in the church here. Mark and Carol Turk. Uh, Mark and Carol were married right out of college, uh, and they allowed their marriage to grow apart in the early years, each blaming the other for their struggles. Mark's job required that he spend a lot of time with women, and, and he confessed later that he, he developed uh, emotional affairs with some of these women. But God broke through, and as a result of some counseling, he, Mark saw his self-centeredness, repented, and God began to renew his heart for his wife. He began to invest in his relationship with his wife. He began to do the hard work of pursuing God's purpose for his marriage. One man, one woman, one flesh for all of life. And their marriage began to blossom. Shortly after that, Carol was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And this eventually led her to require a wheelchair. But the renewal of their marriage continued. Mark says, by the time the MS began to show, the Lord had already begun to turn my heart toward Carol. The diagnosis came at almost the same time as the breakthrough of our marriage. MS had affected Carol's sight, motor skills, features, mobility. It seemed that nothing lay untouched, but I had fallen in love again with Carol. I only saw how beautiful she was to me. Mark would take her to banquets. In the, in the book, it tells the story of her at a sweetheart's banquet. Actually, some of the friends here were at, probably at that banquet. Mark took her out on the dance floor in her wheelchair and just kind of spun her around and danced with her telling her of his love for her. When asked about his loyalty to his wife, Mark said, I see it as a privilege and honor to serve Carol this way. It does have difficulties, but it's God's way of showing me how much he loves me. I sense his love for me and how he has entrusted Carol to me. Mark continued to love his wife in such a wonderful way all the way until last July when Carol went home to be with the Lord. And she is with the Lord right now, waiting her loving husband and friend on that final day. Mark and Carol are a picture of God's glorious purpose for marriage. Think about how they have shown for the Lord. One man, one woman, loving each other, one flesh for all of life. Not necessarily what they signed up for, but what God has for good.
in his glory. Let's pray.